1: Welcome to episode 112 of The Walking Dead TV Podcast, where we're going to be discussing episode 412 of The Walking Dead still. I'm Jordan from Jersey, and I'm joined tonight by Russell Latham and Jim Dietz. How are you guys doing tonight?
0: Awesome. I need a drink.
1: (laughs) I could use one as well. Before we get into anything Walking Dead related, though, first off, I want to extend a thank you to Brad and Aaron last week, and Jim as well, of course. Jim for his near-perfect attendance, Uh, but uh, Aaron for handling the uh, the recap duties, and Brad for editing, because I was not available last week, I apologize, and I'd like to thank all the listeners for being patient with us for the episode coming out later, just from a variety of reasons. Uh, we apologize, but it was still really awesome to have Brad back on the line, so it was uh, it was nice to hear him, and I got to listen as a as a listener instead of a participant, which was kind of fun, because I don't get to do that very often.
0: Jordan won a case of Zima in a bar trivia contest, and uh, he went on a three-day Zima bender. It, w- it wasn't pretty.
1: The story writes itself. Yeah, pretty
0: much. (laughs)
1: Yeah. As you might be able to hear from my voice, I'm sick and also tired. But I'm tired for a very specific reason. And that is I watched all eight episodes of a uh, of a season of a television show on Netflix last night that I want to recommend to all of our listeners, especially if you're fans of The Walking Dead, which if you're listening to this, I'm assuming you are, or if you're a fan of Lost. If you were a fan of Lost and, and the style of storytelling, the ensemble cast, um, that kind of stuff, especially in the beginning, I want to re- recommend this series. And, and Jim and, and Russ, I don't know if you've even heard of it, but it's a French series called The Returned. Have you heard of this at all? No,
0: I no, haven't. I have not.
1: Okay, so they're currently making... Well, it's based on a film, loosely based, on a film called They Came Back, which also there's an American remake being made ra- right now of the series called They Came Back. But it's kind of a zombie series? Kind of? Giant air quotes, you know, flashing in, in neon signs. And there's a similar show on, I think, ABC right now, a similar concept. But it's basically... One day in this French town, a bunch of people who were dead show up again. They're exactly the same age and everything as they were the day they died. They didn't all die on the same day. Some people died 40 years ago or 30 years ago. Some people died four years ago or 10 years ago. One, uh, the, one of the main characters you meet first was a 15-year-old girl who died and shows back up. But the really interesting thing about her character is she's an identical twin, So her identical twin sister is now, like, 21, or or 19, 21, somewhere in that area, and she's still 15. But it's just this question of, why are these people back? What's going on? And the thing that kept me watching this show all through the night, and I literally only got, like, three hours of sleep, is because this show has the most consistently amazing cliffhangers that I think I've ever seen in television. Every episode was like, okay, I'll finish this one and then go to bed. And then something would happen in the last 30 seconds that would make me go, oh my gosh, I have to keep watching it. It is subtitled, so you're going to have to deal with the reading. But hey, I dealt with that while being very sleep-deprived with no problem. And uh, it's also quite adult in some ways. By the end of the show, there's quite a bit of nudity. Not so much in the beginning, but... As long as you're fine with that, and you don't mind reading, absolutely fantastic, and uh, I can't wait for Series 2 when it eventually comes out. It was just really cool.
0: Well, as you mentioned, uh, ABC does have a show, I think it's premiering in just a week or two, uh, called Resurrection, that's uh, pretty much the exact same premise that you with just Kirk described. With Kirkwood Smith. With Kirkwood Smith, yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah, and, and I have no idea if that's going to be any good or not, but I can guarantee you, uh, The Return was just breathtaking. If it had ended where it ended, I thought it was a self-contained thing. I did not realize there was going to be a series two until after I watched series one. If it just ended where it ended, I would be very ticked off because it's, it would be like if Lost ended at the end of season two when the hatch blows up, spoilers, and it's just, that's the end. Um, but I'm so excited for this, for the new series coming out. Uh, I just, I want to recommend it to everybody. So now I guess we can talk Walking Dead if we really want, but if you want an amazing show, check that out.
2: Cool. I'll have to give it a give it a look.
1: So we had uh, the adventures of Death and or Barrel this week. Uh, did we ever decide which was the the official shipping term for Beth and Daryl? Death Barrel maybe.
2: Uh, that may be a little too heavy.
1: <laughs> barrel o Death.
2: Barrel o Death.
0: Death.
1: It's more fun than a barrel of death.
0: How about uh, How about Drunky and uh, Grumpy? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Except that I would say that uh, one character was much more of both of those things than the other. Let's head right into, still, episode 412 of The Walking Dead. This is only, I believe, the third episode of the entire show that Rick does not appear in at all.
0: Hmm.
1: Uh, It's interesting they're starting to do that more and more, because two of them have been this season. Or maybe, actually three, I guess. There was the first Governor episode last week's I think, or no, two weeks ago, and then this one had no Governor, or no Rick whatsoever.
0: What about the, I thought there were two episodes with the Governor, uh, wasn't it?
1: There were, but Rick did show up in the last 30 seconds of one of them. Ah. Right. So, <laughs> cameo, but it counts. This episode, it's all Daryl, all Beth, all the time. Plus Moonshine. So we pick up with Daryl and Beth pretty much right after we left them last time, which was, I guess, three weeks ago now, or two weeks ago, uh, depending on how you want to count it. Um, And they find an abandoned car on the side of the road. Uh, They climb into the trunk and spend the night inside as a large herd of walkers pass and grab at the car. It was a real exercise in minimalism, I thought. There was—you pretty much don't see the zombies— and it's just super creepy.
0: The opening sequence of this episode is my favorite part of this episode. Um, they aren't talking; they're in the trunk of that car together. The way it's shot with just their eyes and the, the um, and the way they show that time has passed. You know what I mean? Like first there's yeah. the, you know the first they hear the, the zombies going by, then there's the uh, the lightning storm and you know the lighting and and everything. And just this whole opening sequence, it was my favorite part of the whole episode. Just really well done. That that sense of dread, and just them having to resign themselves to the fact they're going to be in the truck of this car for however long it's going to be, sweltering away like that. Just so I thought it was a great, great sequence.
2: One of the best cold opens I think we've seen so far. I love how they built the tension. I love that the fact that they filmed it in those in that cramped quarters, and that we just got that little slit out there that there were light would come through, and they were kind of um, able to see, especially when the when the walker herd was coming because it was at night and you know, when they would walk past the moonlight, it would go dark and then light, and then there were kind of the odd cuts, um, but the look of fear on really both their faces, but the fact that, you know, Daryl was pretty much at the ready the whole time, and then Beth with her knife, but it, it I just thought the tension building was just phenomenal. The other thing is much like the episode last week with Rick under the bed. I think this worked in the same manner that it really wasn't important for you to see the zombies and what was going and how big the herd was and everything that was going on outside to kind of get the, the gist of what was going on. So it was, it was a great way to kind of get out of having to, you know, do the crazy big effect shot, which I think would have kind of taken away from the tension they were trying to build with those two characters. It's
1: all about them and them being trapped. It doesn't matter right. what the threat is. And, and that minimalism school, you know, goes back to Jaws, uh, not necessarily purposefully, because we, we all know the story of Jaws and how they wanted to show the shark more, or alien, or that kind of thing. A lot of times, it's it's scarier when you don't see the enemy, and it's all about that uh, claustrophobia.
2: Sure.
1: Or agoraphobia, in, in Jaws' case, I guess, since they're on the open ocean for a lot of it. But that's beside the point. So after that night, uh the next morning they climb out of the car, they scavenge for supplies, uh and they move out. They uh Daryl hunts for food, Beth makes a fire at camp with uh I think that was the headlight of the car, right? Or the it the, lens. the It
0: was a rearview mirror. rearview mirror oh, mirror rearview and mirror. then part of the headlight uh, right? refractor, sort of yeah. Yeah, to focus it, yeah.
1: Which I thought was
2: pretty clever. Which must have been an old car because I don't know how much any of you pay attention, but these days they don't make uh sealed beam glass headlights anymore. Everything's all plastic. But that was really cool because I was like, what are they doing? Like, why are they picking up, you know, a, a rearview mirror and, you know, hubcaps and it, it, like wire and it, they're going to build their own car from scratch? Yeah, I was like, is the professor back at the camp or, you know, what, <laughs> what's going on there? Well, they um, have a,
1: a really bad lack of coconuts in, uh, in Atlanta, so they'd they, be having a problem.
2: Yeah, they'd have, they'd have trouble.
0: They're, they're in the most elaborate scavenger hunt ever conceived.
1: Yes. <laughs> Daryl tries and fails to catch a squirrel, but he does kill a large snake, and they bring it back and cook it and eat it. It looked gross.
0: Well, first he missed on, the, um, on a squirrel, broke a shaft, and then, then then found the rattlesnake. So it was his second choice after squirrel. Yes. <laughs> yeah,
2: I, guess, I, I guess you can only reuse those arrows so many times before they just don't hold up well.
1: Yeah, I mean, the fiberglass will last a long time. I think those are fiberglass uh, bolts, but yeah, yeah, after a while, they will break.
2: Did anybody get a serious Romancing the Stone vibe when he uh, got the snake and and cooked it?
0: No, it just reminded me of having to clean eel when I worked worked in San Francisco, and then we used to have eel on the menu. Uh,
1: Which I think, according to Talking Dead, that's what it actually was.
2: Oh, is that right?
0: You clean it the same way you would a snake. I mean, you you take off the. I cleaned a bunch of them. You take off the you take off the head, take off the skin, take out the innards and the spinal cord, and then what you you eat what is left, and that's pretty much what he did. So,
2: he was going to town.
0: Yeah, he was he was uh, all all in.
1: That's this week's cooking tips from Apache Chef Jim Dietz. Well, Why thank you. Tune in next week when we talk tiramisu.
0: Zombie tiramisu. <laughs> Don't ask what I use for ladyfingers. Spoiler, it's (laughs) ladyfingers.
1: So Daryl throughout the first 10, 15 minutes of the episode says like maybe three words and just grunting mostly and, and he's very distant. He's pretty much approaching full shutdown mode and Beth has to keep kind of prodding along. Eventually she comes up with what their mission is going to be. She wants a drink of alcohol. She was never allowed any before, A, because she was probably underage, but also because, if you remember, Herschel was a recovering alcoholic, and he was not going to have any around her. Uh, Daryl doesn't respond to her her idea, and so she gets mad at him. She takes her knife, and she leaves. She uh, gets uh, attacked by some walkers. She's hiding from them, and she eventually uh, tricks them. Uh, by throwing a rock, which worked pretty well, even though I thought it was a little quiet in the sound mix. They probably should have mixed that up to make it sound louder.
0: Somebody's Somebody's been playing Metal Gear Solid. That's all I'm going to say about that.
1: <laughs> that's why she <laughs> hid in that cardboard box?
0: No, that's, uh, there was no cardboard box, but the throwing of the rock, I mean, classic.
2: Yeah. It would have been awesome if, like, an exclamation point would have come up over somebody's head. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and then there's an into a question mark, and the zombie walked away.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
1: And uh, right after she's distracted them, Daryl shows up and starts leading her back to camp. And she is not happy about this. She flips him off. She yells at him. She she can take care of herself. She's not going back to that camp. It's a stupid camp. Uh, It's actually a pretty funny exchange, I thought. And uh, so eventually they leave the camp and they make their way to a mostly, I guess you could say, abandoned golf course, uh, depending on how you define abandoned. Uh, and they uh, are followed by a group of walkers that uh, emerge from the woods.
0: This is, uh, um, there was a lot of flipping off in this episode. Yes. Yeah, which I thought <laughs> the was double really,
2: deuce. really funny because that's kind of Redis' thing, you know.
0: Yeah, right, exactly. But it's like we see almost none and then bam, this episode is all over the place.
1: And you can tell, it's like, at least from the character standpoint, this is not something Beth is too comfortable with or too used to doing.
0: She throws people off like a 12-year-old girl would. (laughs) Right,
1: right. Which, you know, uh, not to get ahead of ourselves, uh, Aaron can't make it uh, onto the show tonight as much as we love him, but I did read his written review and he made a comment that I disagree with and maybe this would be a good time to get into it. Or, Or maybe we can get into it more later, but... He was saying that Beth and Daryl don't really have anything in common that would bond them together, aside from what's written into this episode, but I disagree. I think the thing that really ties them together character-wise, which maybe isn't always apparent, but was in this episode, is they're both both in a state of arrested development, hers a little bit more because she's young, and him because of Merle and everything he went through as a kid, and that's really what brings them you know, drives them apart and brings them together by the end in this episode. And I think the, the flipping off in the beginning is a good first sign of that in this episode.
0: Well they're also like they're used to defining themselves in terms of you know, their not well in Daryl's case it was Merle and in Best's case it was it was Herschel. You know, they're used to defining themselves in terms of their father unit, you know, or whatever. Now they don't have that anymore, and they're trying to really define themselves. I mean, there's a whole scene. Not getting too far ahead, but the whole scene later when you know Beth is trying to figure out what Daryl was back before the zombie apocalypse, and you know finally he realized. You know, he's like, "No, I was just a drifter, a tweaker, you know, a, red- a redneck loser following a bigger redneck loser of a brother." I mean, they've both been defined by their their uh, their families up until this point. They really have no you know, definition of their own, and they're trying to they're trying to grasp that. They're trying to find it, you know.
2: And for their own reasons, they're both trying to push down their emotions and just move on. You know, we've seen Beth where she's been completely uh, detached from the loss she's suffered. You know, she, she, you know, two of her boy, you know, Daryl even says, you know, you've lost two of your boyfriends and, you know, she's sitting around singing, you know, in the jail cell and stuff. And it just doesn't seem like these things phase her. And I think Daryl, for a slightly different reason, just because A, his upbringing, um, but B, he's trying to be the guy that holds it all together and keeps it in, and to show that he's not cracking, and and a little bit of that macho ness, I think, um, is coming through. So I, I think, I think in a lot of ways they are kind of kindred spirits, even even though their backgrounds are wildly different.
1: Yeah, but Daryl functions best, or you know, up until this point, really in the series, only functions when he's being given direct orders, whether he wants to right. follow them or not. He had Merle. Then he had Shane and Rick. Now he had, and then Rick and now without someone to tell him what to do, we see in the beginning of the episode and and in two weeks ago in the little snippet of their story how he really does need someone pushing him, someone telling him what to do. And in this case, that becomes Beth. Um, and I think Beth's plan of we need a plan, we don't need a good plan, we just need a plan. We need to go. We need something to do. Is exactly the right thing she needed to do to motivate him. Right. So, they're in that the country club, and uh, at first it looks pretty abandoned, but as they make their way inside, they see there is a large number of dead bodies, uh, some of them just dead, some of them zombified and hanging from the ceiling.
0: Great. I love that scene, by the way, when they walked in, they hear the zombies, but they don't see them at first. And right. And then they look up, and they yeah. see that there's like three or four of them that have hung themselves, and they're not zombified. But I really, this whole scene with the country club, not to get too too much on a tangent here, but... um really, like, the whole tableau as they walk through the kind of, you know, what was left over told the story. Like, when they go in the back where the kitchen was and, you know, in the bar and all the other places, it almost reminded me of, like, Bioshock or something. Yeah. When you, like, walk through a room and you're able to tell what happened by what's left behind.
2: Oh, there's a lot of that in Fallout as well. Yeah, Fallout, uh, Borderlands.
0: But I just, I really enjoyed that in this episode.
2: Do you think that those people hung themselves, or do you think maybe it was a little... Bit of the whole eat the rich thing, because we saw that there was the one, it was a body, but it, I mean, it, it seemed almost it was like a, a torso. Yeah. Yeah. But it seemed like a mannequin more than anything. And it, and it, I think it said, did it say rich a-hole? It what, said rich bitch.
0: Well, there's also the scene later when they're in the back where the, um, the back of the house, you know, the, the waiters, the dead waiters and stuff. And it was yeah. well, welcome to dog trot. Welcome to the dog trot. Yeah, um, written on the wall. I thought that was kind of cool. Again, you know, it reminded me of like you'd seen a video game where they they establish a tableau by what you find, you know, left behind.
2: Right.
1: You, un- initially, I was with you, Jim, and I thought it was suicide, which is why at first I was kind of like, "Really? We're, we're doing a lot of finding people who killed themselves in the last two weeks." Right. And you know, I mean, that's something you would expect to see, but it you know, just two back to back was a little strange. But in watching the rest of the episode, and then later on the Talking Dead when they do the kind of behind the scenes stuff, they're saying it's it's implied that the uh, you know there was everybody living there, and then at a certain point the uh, you know the upstairs downstairs came to a head basically, and the staff killed everybody, hmm. and those weren't suicides; those were murders. At least that's the impression I got. Now, you know, getting ahead of ourselves, but you know, going back to the, the torso mannequin uh, Dr. Moreau monstrosity, did that remind you guys of what the governor found in that cabin? Hmm. With, you know, the thief, murderer, rapist signs? Yeah,
2: yeah I get, now that you bring it up, yeah.
1: I'm kind of wondering if that was a stealth plot point of, you know, whether or not those are the same group that Rick was dealing with last week or not, that this is some larger thing. Could be. Uh, which would be very interesting and very creepy and and off the top of my head um, non-spoiler spoilers I guess I can't think of anything from the comics that would mirror that. Maybe I, I'm just forgetting it but this could be an entirely new band of villains.
0: Hmm, Interesting. Yeah.
1: Who are very sign oriented.
0: Could be. We come from a long line of sign
1: pictures. <laughs> So they make their way through the uh, through the club. Look, uh, Beth looking for alcohol. Daryl collecting money and stuff all across the floor that you know the scattered around. Which even Beth points out of as you know, why do you need to do that? Money is worthless. And uh, eventually, you know, they find that uh, the mannequin slash torso thing. Uh, they they fight some walkers. Daryl takes a five iron. I'm guessing or a driver, some type of golf club. Clearly, I don't know my golf clubs. Uh, to a group of zombies, eventually just taking out a bunch of anger on the final one and just not even going for the kill shot, just hitting it you know, about the, about the neck and shoulders over and over and over again.
2: Yeah, what do you think that was about? Do you think, I mean, between the money and everything going on, do you think that was just him taking out some aggression? Was that him, you know, maybe kind of metering out his own little bit of class warfare where, you know, he was never in that environment? He was never allowed to have that kind of privilege? And he sees, you know, people that conceivably were in that environment, and he just kind of used that to kind of work some stuff out.
1: Well, for the money, I kind of took it as a depression baby type deal. In that, you know, you think of you know your grandparents or, or maybe older aunts and uncles or such who grew up during or after the Great Depression who saved everything because they always thought you know it was so important, and you never know when the, when the next big crash is going to happen. Um, which you, you can debate the merits of that, but you know some of them took it a bit too far. Somebody who didn't grow up with money and was always you know looking for the next big score because you had to to survive, I can totally see why he would fall back on that with with picking up the money, also going back to the you know he needs a plan he need, or he needs someone telling him what the plan is, left to his own devices, his first thought is, "I need money because I need to survive well also, even though money's worthless now
0: also later, I mean he uses the money in a pretty funny way. You know, I mean, maybe yeah, yeah. It wasn't that kind of showed to me that wasn't you know about him trying to scavenge money or thinking it had intrinsic worth, just that he you know he was going to do something with it later.
2: When I saw that, I I agree, Jim. I think maybe he kind of had some foresight to say, okay, this is something that's bundled up tight that I could use to you know, you know, easier to start a fire or kindling or you know whatever.
1: So they make their way eventually to the clubhouse bar. Uh, where Beth searches for alcohol and Daryl plays darts uh, against a a sign of a bunch of rich people, which is pretty funny. And eventually, Beth finds a half-empty bottle of uh, I would know it was Schnapps was it peach Schnapps peach, or just Schnapps? Peach. It was okay. Uh, unfortunately for her, and uh, she's looking around for a glass. The only ones she can find are you know covered in blood and such or broken. So eventually, she's just going to drink it right out of the bottle. And when she sits there in front of the bottle and is about to drink it, she just breaks down into tears. And Daryl eventually can't take it anymore, grabs the bottle, throws it to the ground and breaks it and basically tells her, you're not having peach schnapps for your first drink. We're going to find you something good.
0: Nobody wants to drink peach schnapps for their first drink.
2: (laughs) Funny story, peppermint schnapps was the first bit of alcohol I ever tasted when I was uh, uh, way too young to be drinking alcohol. Uh, sorry, mom and dad, if you're listening to this, which they're probably not.
1: I think the the statute of limitations is run. You are
0: yeah, so much trouble, young man. Yeah, funny <laughs> enough. Um,
2: but second, I, I don't know, that just caught me so funny. Just, you know, Daryl saying that, you know, you're not going to have this sissy alcohol for your first drink. I laughed. I don't think I've ever laughed so hard watching this show, but it just, it just really caught me in the right way. And I just, I, I caught myself laughing. Uh, for quite a bit because I just again it just kind of showed that humanity where he started to, to it was kind of like a combination of things he started to kind of open up to her and and understand I think where she was coming from but at the same time you know was maybe like the older brother like okay if we're going to do this we're going to do this right you know we're not going to we're not going to you know goof around with this nonsense uh, but it just really caught me and I I just laughed so hard
1: yeah and it's interesting you know We talked about, or I talked about, how Beth recognized that Daryl needed a goal. He needed something to get to. He needed orders, etc. But it becomes clear in the scene when she breaks down how much she needed a goal as well. And once she got to that goal, she realized how... you It's it's one of those things. You, You set that goal because we just need to get here. You put that in your head. We need to get to X. We need to get to X. We need to get to the final place. And once you get there, once you take that drink... You have no goal anymore. You're right back where you started. Just you happen to be in a you know a country club uh, bar.
0: Well, it's like we were saying. You know, they're both characters that are used to being given direction by other people. You right. Know, well, you know, Daryl went from being told by Merle what to do to being told by Rick what to do. You know, Beth has always had Maggie and Herschel to tell her what to do. You know, so like you said, Jordan, that's a really good point. You know, once they they no longer had something to focus on as far as their next goal, they really had no one. You know, to direct their rudder, as it were, you know.
1: Um, And we should mention before we exit the country club section that uh, Beth picks up a spoon at one point, a decorative spoon with uh, Washington, D.C. written on it, and I believe it was the capital, right, Mm -hmm. on the spoon? So not really a major plot point, but, you know, the whole thing with uh, uh, Eugene and his group trying to get to Washington, D.C., just a reminder of that. Who knows? Maybe Beth and Daryl will end up in Washington, D.C. I doubt it, but you never know. So, they exit the clubhouse, and they find their way to a rundown shack that Daryl says he found with Michonne. Um, and they enter the house, and they find a still uh, with moonshine. And, uh, of course, I, I, I gotta say, peach nops probably a bad first drink. I can't say that moonshine's gonna be much better. Don't get me wrong, I love this stuff, but for a first drink? Uh, that aside... Uh, uh, He pours Beth a glass. Beth drinks the moonshine, offers a drink, offers Daryl a drink. He refuses, um, says, you know, somebody needs to have the what's about them. Good thinking. Uh, But then Beth eventually convinces Daryl to play. Never have I ever, uh, which gets them both pretty drunk.
2: The only thing that really kind of set me odd in this episode was the fact that given how her size, how she's never consumed alcohol before i would think after the first 3 sips of moonshine she'd She'll probably be, be like yeah like either asleep or dead um <laughs> yeah. or, or certainly like really close to in- being incapacitated um but i understand that th- it was more the the symbology of it than it was uh anything else right absolutely did you guys think a, a little bit of an aside here but i think we're at a good point for it uh, when they started the game, you know, we've kind of seen before where Beth has kind of given the eye to Daryl at, at, at a, you a time. You could cut
1: the sexual tension in this episode with a butter knife.
2: Yeah. Did you, were you A, afraid or B, think that they might go like where, not so much that Daryl would put the moves on Beth, but that Beth would use that to kind of put the moves on Daryl? Um, And and thank God they didn't. But I was really like that was like in the back of my mind the whole time. I was just like, are they or aren't they? You know, are they going to go down that road or are they not going to go down that road?
1: I was actually worried, especially once, you know, we're getting ahead of ourselves again. But once Daryl uh, snapped, I was worried about him sexually assaulting her. Now, granted, I know in the back of my head, this is Daryl. Don't ever have him do this on that on the show because, you know, various meta reasons of his huge female fan base. That will never happen. But, like, just the tension-wise, it felt like if that did happen, narratively, I would be like, yes, that makes perfect sense. It would Mm. be something I don't want to see, but, you know, it would have totally fit.
2: Yeah, I would—I mean, for me, I would have had a real problem with it, just in in general. I I, I just—I didn't want to—to me, it almost—again, it gets towards, like, cliche territory, uh, and that has more to do with it than anything, just the whole— uh, uh, you know, two characters, male and female, alone. You know, possibly never, you know, running across other people again, or at least for some some time. And just the hints in the past. I, I, I mean, kudos to the writers for for choosing to handle this the way they did, because I think that that makes for a much better situation than than what we could have got.
1: Well, I mean, I think it's more just fear of the female fan base. The rioting that would take place if those two ever oh, yeah. ended up together. That said, like I said, narratively, even if it's not, and like I said, the assault thing would never happen, and I don't want it to happen. But even a just straight up romantic relationship, I think, would fit for these characters, both being in that state of arrested development, both being essentially virginal. Um, you know, and we, we've already, we've already, we've commented many times on how. You know, Daryl and Carol's relationship was very weird, and it almost seemed like he was not totally comfortable in a sexual realm, likely because of the abuse he suffered at the hands of his parents and Merle. But, you know, Beth as well, even though she's had several quote unquote boyfriends, there's never really been much of a hint of anything sexual there uh, because of her age and just because of the way that character is portrayed. So, again, while I know it won't happen for meta reasons, I feel like it would fit. I, I don't know. Like, I'm not saying I want it to happen, but I feel like it would fit.
2: I disagree, sir. Well, agree to disagree.
0: <laughs> I don't want to see it. Either way, it's almost like you know the one relationship they kind of set him up for was you had a mother-son dynamic. Now they're setting him up for another relationship where it's like a father-daughter dynamic. Or like, brother-sister just... even. More. Yeah, or even brother-sister. It's just like, can't they give it to someone whose own
2: age? Come on. <laughs> Rosita. There you go.
1: So they're playing Never Have I Ever, and it starts out. Uh, I, I guess it continues innocently enough, but you know Beth doesn't really pick up on on the fact that a lot of her questions, while they're very benign to someone like Daryl who had such a rough childhood, it comes to, comes off to him almost like she's mocking him for the things he hasn't done. You know, very simple things like leaving Georgia or ever going on vacation or, you know, just having a happy childhood in general. And eventually, uh, the alcohol kicks in, the testosterone kicks in, the anger kicks in in general, and uh, he he goes off on a tirade. Uh, He begins just taking a leak in the middle of the room, um, at least facing away from Beth, but still, you know, he starts talking very loudly while there's a zombie outside, and she's telling him to cut it out. So he then forcefully takes Beth outside uh, to that walker, and he's like, you've never even shot a crossbow, I'm going to sh- force you to shoot a crossbow. And uh, so, you know, he shoots the walker in the chest to pin it to a tree, and he tries to force Beth to kill it with the crossbow, but she refuses and instead walks up and stabs it in the head with a knife, and then they begin ar- arguing. Now, before we get to the argument, did anyone else notice, and I thought this was actually pretty clever, how Norman Reedus's accent changed once he went off on his tirade? It got much more redneck, much more pronounced, and much more, uh, for lack of a better term, for lack of a better turn, just redneck for about thirty seconds from the point where he you know starts peeing in the room to when he is forced is trying to force you to use a crossbow. Like the accent is distinctly different.
0: I think it's partially. I, um, I think it's part. I think it's supposed to be from the drinking too. I mean, a lot of times people yeah. you know when they, I know like uh, my brother-in-law is a Scotsman. And when uh, you know he's he's sober, which is you know ninety five percent of the time. I'm not saying he has a drinking problem or, or anything like that. Uh, he, his his uh, accent's very you know uh, um, like a brogue. It's not very pronounced. But if he has a few beers, you know he starts talking like you know uh,
1: um,
0: you know Grant Morrison or something. <laughs> <It's> just, <laughs>
1: right, which yeah. is what I'm saying. I thought it was yeah, a nice uh, detail that they right, added there. Right. The I guess I more didn't pronounced. I
2: didn't notice it as much. Either. I mean, I've been yeah. I haven't lived in Chicago in almost thirty years, but yeah, put a few drinks in me, and it and it definitely comes back um, more so than when I'm either that or when I'm mad. Like one of those two scenarios, uh, the the Chicago in me comes out. But uh, I guess being in the south, it's just that, deep dish pizza, this
1: deep dish yeah. pizza, that
2: yeah, exactly. Elevated train, <laughs> wind, Cubs win,
0: um, Wacker Drive,
2: Lower Wacker Drive, Lower
0: Wacker Drive,
2: um. Yeah. So I and I guess being in the south and and hearing various uh degrees of southern accent from very very backwoodsy to not so much. I I guess I just didn't notice it at much cuz I I kind of hear that more often than I mean you guys being in the north. I mean I know Jim you've lived in the south at at, at a time or two. Yep. Um but I I I think just because I'm too I'm too in the middle of it I just I just didn't notice it as, as much Alright, it was easy for me to to blow it off I guess is what I what I'm meaning to say.
0: You're right. Th- you're right though. That is a nice acting touch they threw that they put that in there.
1: Right.
2: And speaking of
1: nice acting touches, uh, then the argument starts, where. Uh... Daryl yells at Beth for being lost on the road and only wanting to have a drink like a dumb college girl. And Beth accuses Daryl of not caring about anyone. At that point, uh, this is where the acting touch comes in, Daryl breaks down and he talks about how he feels directly responsible for Herschel's death. Um, tells Beth how he had a shot at the governor, but he didn't take it. And if he would only kept looking um, with Michonne for the governor, then maybe they could have saved Herschel's life. Um, and then uh, Beth gives him a hug as he continues to cry.
0: My question is, how long is it gonna be before we get? Uh, I didn't. I never had frozen yogurt. I never had a pony as a meme.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm surprised. I was thinking that right. when I was
0: watching. I'm like, oh man, that's gonna make it a funny meme. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I I like the fact we're getting a little more behind Daryl the character. I mean, we kind of had, you know, like his background's been kind of sketched out for. It's been not really filled in like it is in this episode, and uh, I kind of appreciated that. Uh,
2: yeah, I know. It's funny. Earlier on Twitter, there was somebody that put it or Twitter uh, on Facebook that put a comment out there that was really negative on this episode in general and just had a lot of it just had to do with Daryl kind of being soft and 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 things like that. And I kind of retorted back that I that didn't bother me. I mean, I think that's what do I want to see Daryl break down and cry every episode or every third episode? Absolutely not. But I think this was an appropriate time for this to happen in an appropriate, inappropriate company. I mean. A, there was alcohol involved. B, th- that's, they're trying to make a point of that this episode is the fact that both, that neither of these characters have really had time to, um, let things hit them. I mean, we've seen with like Rick and Carl when, when Lori died and when they thought Judith was dead that they had their time to, you know, either cry or break down or, um, you know, absolutely lose it. And we haven't seen that from Daryl. Or from, uh, from Beth, really. And they've had a lot of unspeakable things happen to and around them. Um, and I, I, think it was interesting that we don't see Daryl broken up so much about, like, well, Carol's gone or what happened to T Dog or Shane or any, or, 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 um, uh, or, or Dale. It, 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 I think it was Herschel that really hit him. And I think because deep down, Daryl saw Herschel as a good man, as as somebody to look up to, as somebody who, you know, had had, you know, not always walked the straight and narrow path, but found a way to get past all that and to do right by his family and to, you know, to take in these total strangers who could have been, you know, easily killed. And I think one of the first decent father figures he's probably ever had in his life. Exactly. And. I, I don't fault this episode or the writing or anything else for him having that moment to kind of deal with that. Um, and, and again, it, it kind of puts him in a, in a great position to do it because it's not in front of the rest of the group. Um, he's not going to be foreseen or portrayed as, you know, kind of having this weak moment, I I, I kind of see this as, and w- when we get to the to the end of the episode, we'll see th- that even more that this is almost like a catharsis for both of them. You know, they're both able to just kind of work out so much stuff that I think that's what they need. And when they move on, I think I, I think for the most part they'll go back to to the people they were. Um, but knowing that they've had this moment to kind of deal and decompress with this stuff, I think humanizes them more. I think it I think it gives us something that that you know, maybe, you know, we've always wondered or or had a, as a criticism.
0: Well, also, too, I mean, think about Norman Reeves, I mean, Daryl's one of the main characters of the show, right? Yeah, think about how much we know about Rick's backstory and how much we know about his character and compared to how much we really know about Daryl's. I mean, other than, you know, what Merle kind of let on and what he's kind of, you know, said here and there, I mean, really... We really haven't had a i mean there was that whole thing in um i think it was the end of season near the end of season three where they were joking you know before the prison got turned down or whatever so what were you before daryl were you a cut the one guy was like guessing you know every time we were a cop. the uh,
1: season four premiere at the uh, okay. big lots yeah whatever. Bob, right bob Stookie. right and, he, and beth's boyfriend
0: Beth's boyfriend and he kept like, uh, yeah. trying to he kept trying to you know guess it, and that was a the callback there there was also a, a good callback um You know when uh, Norman has first tirade there uh, to to uh, or Daryl has first tirade to Beth and you know he's like I never you know I never cut myself for attention you know going all the way back to to the farm I mean it it was uh, it was a lot of like you said Russ there was a lot of stuff these characters needed to work out and a lot of cathartic moments in this and that I think the people who were like you know oh you know Daryl's being weak and there weren't enough zombie kills and action this episode of blah 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 blah. Kind of missed the point of the the story uh, in general, you know. This isn't the show. I mean, it's a zombie show, but that's not what it's about, you know. And, real yeah. men cry. Yeah. Well, yeah, of course. It's like you know, saying real men don't cook. You know, that's wrong too. But um, the just uh, it just is it, interesting to me that we finally get this stuff filled in with Daryl after all this time, considering he's one of the leads, you know. Yeah. Um And most any other show, your lead character, you know, almost everything about them, you know, as it goes on, and this. We're just now getting some of those, uh, you know, dots connected, blanks filled in, you know.
2: Even the episode with Daryl when he was, you know, daydreaming, uh, you know, oh, about yeah. Chupacabra. Yeah, I mean, we still even didn't get. I mean, it was pretty much a, a big chunk of that episode was de- was dedicated to, you know, his his journey and to him seeing Merle, and we still didn't get a whole lot of stuff filled in. I mean, we kind of got some uh, clues as to how their relationship went, but nothing concrete. Right. To uh, round out the episode, later in the night after they had
1: that argument, uh, Daryl and Beth are sharing stories of their respected families on the porch uh, while continuing to drink, uh, during which uh, Beth tells Daryl that he's ultimately going to be the last person standing after everything is over, uh, which I think most people would probably agree with. And then she then kind of jokingly suggests that they burn down the house that they found the moonshine in, and Daryl lights up at this and smiles and tells her they're going to need more alcohol, so they empty out all the moonshine all over the house. Uh, they prepare to light it. Daryl offers best some matches, and she lights the money that he had collected earlier, and throws it in the house. The house begins to burn, and they both stand in front of it, flipping off the house while watching it burn before turning and leaving.
2: Second uh, moment of the night where I had a really big laugh was when Daryl, you know, Daryl says, "We're gonna need more alcohol <laughs> um, or more moonshine." I just, I, I, th- I thought that was really funny. Um, And, again, just those two things just really set the tone for me for this episode. But, but again, what a cool thing to do, right? I mean, you know, for them to, uh, you know, especially for Daryl and for Beth to kind of facilitate that, to say, look, why don't you just set fire to all the bad crap that was in your childhood and give it the finger? I mean, you know, who doesn't want to do that? Like, in your life, I mean, all of us have something. I'm not saying we're all, you know. Horribly abused and traumatized, but we all have something in our, from our childhood or our past that we'd like to just be able to set on fire and give it the finger. I, I thought that was awesome. Burn it down and walk away.
1: Yeah, I, I totally, I'm totally with you. I, I was, you know, I was matching their uh, their misty eyes at certain points. I was kind of fist pumping the TV at certain points. Uh, th- this was, in terms of catharsis for both the characters and the viewers. I mean, I think a lot of the details that they went over and we've talked about were issues that not only did they need to work through and work through together, but issues that the audiences had with the characters as well, that they were able to go, look, yes, let's put it on the table, let's dissect it, and then at the end of the episode, let's burn it down and walk away. Kind of in the same way that you know, Rick and Carl's big argument a couple episodes back, where it was, yes, we've had this argument, let's have it for good, let's have it out, let's put it up there, and then let's be done with it. And I, I think that's kind of what they're doing here. And yeah. I, I'm happy about that. So before we get into Buster ratings, uh, Russ,
2: who's our sponsor this week? Our sponsor for the Walking Dead TV podcast is Discount Comic Book Service. That's DCB Service. And, uh, this month there are a ton of great specials on at Discount Comic Book Service. One of the things I want to mention for all of you, uh, Walking Dead, uh, TV show listeners or even casual comic readers, uh, if you, if you are interested, uh, we did a show recently, uh, during the break that kind of caps, encapsulated, uh, a, a lot of character comparisons and, and going through like the first 48 issues. Uh, and uh, d- this month at Discount Comic Book Service, Image has resolicited, uh, the first nine hardcover volumes of The Walking Dead. So each hardcover is typically what we consider two trades. So it's roughly 12 issues. Uh, so those, those nine hardcovers would pretty much catch you up I'm pretty close uh to to what's going on in the comic. The tenth hardcover hasn't been solicited yet. Uh, but they're all forty percent off and it, it brings the price from thirty four ninety nine down to twenty dollars and ninety nine cents um for that. Uh the regular Walking Dead monthly comic is up to uh number one twenty seven, so all out war is over at this point, uh which may have some interesting repercussions. Uh so it's fifty percent off that issue so instead of two ninety nine it'd be $149. Um, the first uh, trade volume of a book that uh, most of us on one of the sister podcasts, The Long Box of Doom, are very uh, big favorites of, is uh, Rick Remender and Matteo Scalera's Black Science. The first trade paperback for that is uh, regular cover price 9 dollars You can get it for 50% off at four ninety nine, And that is an incredible steal uh, for one of the books that we rated uh, one of the tops of 2013.
0: Great book. Plus, if you like The Walking Dead, you'll love the horror aspects of that book, I think.
2: Yes, absolutely. Also, the, all of the brand new Marvel and DC hardcovers and trades are all 50% off. One of them I'll spotlight from there. Uh, if you're, if any of you folks are fans of the Nick Fury character, and, and this is not the Avengers movie version of Nick Fury, this is the, uh, you know, standard David Hasselhoff version. Yeah, more, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but much more grizzled. This is uh, from the Max line of Marvel, which is their mature readers, uh, very adult uh, version of the comic. But it's called Fury Max: My War Gone By, and it's the twelve issue series that they did uh, by Garth Ennis, and it's fifty percent off of uh, the regular price of thirty four ninety nine. You can get it for seventeen forty nine. That uh, is a steal, and it's such yes. a great book. Out, outstanding, uh, outstanding series. A lot of grit, grit, uh, and, and gritty, um, but, but also manages to get some, uh, some typical fury type humor in there. Uh, just a lot of fun with that. And it's kind of a, a old grizzled Nick Fury kind of telling stories of him in various wars and conflicts across time. Uh, so it's really, really well done. Um, as always, uh, the new, these are the new solicits for March. Uh, you have until the end of the month typically to get them in. But if you say, oh, shoot, it's March. I forgot to put February's order in. Have no fear. Uh, they are happy to take late orders. So get that over to them. Just shoot them an email letting them know. Uh, the customer service is always outstanding. Never have any any issues with shipping or uh, packaging. So, uh, again, head on over to DCBService.com, and we thank them for their support of the Walking Dead TV podcast. Absolutely. So, Buster Ratings, Jim, what do you give this episode?
0: I give this one a 4 out of 5. Uh, it was a solid episode, I like the character stuff. I really, that is what really brings me back to the show more than the zombie kills and whatnot. Although those are fun too, um, as the characterization and the characters, and it was cool to get a little more of a glimpse into Daryl's character. I really, I, it's funny, I really enjoyed the opening of this show, and then the first part of it just kind of threw me off because of Beth's uh, overwhelming need for alcohol, Kind of out of the blue, but as I realized what was going on and what uh, what you know the characters were kind of doing to each other, it kind of made a little more sense to me. I I really enjoyed them opening up to one another, and again the characterization was really good. So a four out of five for me.
2: Russ, how about you? I'm going to give it a four point seven five out of five. Uh, so that's kind of like yeah, two weeks in. A, well, not I didn't I wasn't on last week, but the week before I I also gave that one a pretty high rating. Um this is one of my favorite episodes of the series. Uh, there's just a lot of things that really worked for me. Um and again, two moments that literally made me laugh out loud for this show I thought was just phenomenal. Um and it really uh, I I'm glad we got to see some more de- I mean the c- two cool things that we've gotten this season so far are some real depth out of Michonne, and we're starting to get more depth and strength out of Daryl as a character. And I really, really appreciate that. And I thought this, this episode was really well-directed. Um, it, it, you know, it not only told a cool story, but we still got a lot of uh, several tension-building moments, especially in the cold open. Um, so th- this one, for me, just gets really, really high praise.
1: So for me, I, I struggled on this one because as an hour of television... I really enjoyed this. I just thought beginning to end, it went all over the emotional spectrum in really cool ways and took two characters, one I like a lot, and one I don't really have strong feelings about whatsoever, and really did interesting things with them. But on the other hand, as an episode of The Walking Dead... In thinking about my rating, I was like, I didn't really love this as an episode of The Walking Dead. This isn't what I really want to see from the show week in and week out. Yes, I do want to see character stuff, but I also want there to be plot as well. But I don't think I want to penalize it because I don't want to see this every week, because I think seeing it once was really good, and I enjoyed myself through and through for an hour. So I'm giving this one a 495 in the final summation of things, but... I, I did have to struggle with that a bit because it is weird as an episode of The Walking Dead, and I wouldn't want to see this all the time, but at least for one episode, it was
2: pretty awesome. Yeah, I, I agree. That was the other, just as a quick aside before we get into some some feedback and, and such, uh, I, I, I kind of got into a couple of posts too about uh, some folks that thought that, well, they're tired of the one-offs. Like, you know, we're not really getting... The, the story to move forward. You know, we're getting an episode with, um, you know, Rick and Carl and Michonne, and then we get an episode with, you know, uh, it, it it Tyrese, and then we, you know, get this episode here with, um, with Beth and Daryl. That you know, things aren't moving forward. And my counter to that was, and, and we've talked about this many times on the show, when they do episodes like this, where they could focus the entire episode, or even if they split them in half, it's it's not so bad. Um, but focusing on characters. You get to tell a completely different narrative than if you do the every 10 minutes you're flipping around to different things going on um, because of the way that, the you know, they have to put commercial breaks and that, you know, episodes in general have to kind of, ha- you know, have a, a somewhat of a three act structure going on um, and you have to kind of move things forward. To me, it's more satisfying if I could just sit down and dedicate time. To them telling the story of a more limited number of characters, if they're going to be spread out in different places, um, much more thoroughly. Um, you know, when they're all together, it's a little different. Yeah, you can kind of bounce around because in general, they're all, you know, roughly doing or in the same spot. But when they're spread out like they are, to me, it just adds more depth to, to getting a, mo- a more complete story. Um, and, and, and if you think about it, if, in general, if they were to split these things up, what would take it's still going to be the same amount of story, right? I mean, it's just going to take them five episodes to tell everybody's story because they're going to give us everybody's story in little five to six, seven minute chunks. Um, so, so to me, again, like I said, I think they they have more flexibility to tell a more thorough story by doing it this way, even though when it's all said and done, you know, we're going to get four episodes, no matter which way you slice it, of these guys trying to come back to each other.
1: Yeah, I definitely agree with you. And again, I don't know if the way they went about it in this episode is a way I'd want to see all the time. Um, in fact, I think I pretty much explicitly said that's not what I want to see. I'd rather see it a little bit more like the Rick and Michonne and Carl episode last week. But that said, yes, it's focusing on the characters really helps, because, especially because if it's just all plot all the time and just, you know, event A happens and 17 different characters have to react to it, You get those characters become really stale really fast. You've seen this in many, many shows where it's just the characters never change, and it's just you know, you might have loved Jim in seasons, you know, two, three, and four of The Office, but by season seven, a lot of people were ticked off with that character, series six, whatever. And having an episode like this or like last week's. Allows those characters to grow and change so you don't get sick of them just being the same all the time because now they've changed. And when situation X presents itself, maybe the way they react isn't going to be the same as if they, as the way they would have if you hadn't had the character building episodes. So yeah, I agree. And it's, As much as maybe, you know, Beth and Daryl pairing isn't my favorite pairing ever that you might have in the show, even though I like what they did with them, it's still important to have that, especially for a character like Beth, who just hasn't had much three-dimensionalizing at all. She really got this in this episode, and I think it's to their benefit. Now they can do a lot more interesting things with that character in the future.
0: Well, like a lot of my favorite episodes have been episodes that just focus on a smaller... Uh, core cast of characters: uh, Nebraska, uh, Chupacabra. You mentioned before uh, the episode 8 Miles Out." That was just Rick Shane and their prisoner. Um, you know, th- some of those have yep. been some of my favorite episodes going you know, in, in the series so far. So I, I really like the format of them. You know, ever like you said, Jordan, I don't think a steady diet of that would be a good thing. But uh, everyone you know, to break it up with the you know these nice character pieces that kind of you know reinforce why we're watching the show you know week after week uh, is a good thing for sure. It's interesting though because in our in our Facebook group the uh, opinions are kind of all over the place and if you'd like to join our Facebook group we would definitely recommend you do so it's the Walking Dead TV Podcast Facebook group. We're about 500 strong and there's a lot of cool uh, Stuff there, you can list your busters. Uh, there you can see uh, direct links to Aaron's review at theyoungfolks.com of each uh, episode. Uh, a lot of news and fun stuff we find we, uh, we post there as well. And there's a lot of discussion and a lot of, you know, uh, uh, really good talk among the fans. The uh, busterings, as I said, are all over the board. So uh, Leo Cavalla. Uh, nice to learn more about Daryl's past, but overall a slow episode. Three out of five rich bitches. Uh, Philip heard wow. What a late episode last week. And now this, I demand a refund, sir. Please give me back my free. Uh, <laughs>
1: your freeze in the mail.
0: Yeah. It's, it's along with your no prize,
1: but it's third class shipping. So you might have to wait a while.
0: Yeah. And you'll have to sign for his it. DHL. Uh, Everard Santa Maria. I'm not sure if I've given any fives this season, but I think this one deserves it. uh, Mike Jones, two flaming youths out of five total, total filler debacle. So like I said, you know the opinions are all over the board. Um, yeah. Daryl's one of my favorite characters, says Sarah Ann Howard, and the pairing of he and Beth in The Escape from the Prison was one I hoped would reveal some interesting moments. Four out of five burning moonshine stills in the moonlight. Uh, two cans of pudding. It's the first time I got bored from the show, said Mary Collins. 3.5, another reckless episode out of five from Craig Dimonda. Mary Turk gives a solid three white cardigans. That's right. I <laughs> forgot about the white cardigan being destroyed by uh, by Daryl's uh, golfing of the zombie brain all over it.
1: That's it was... your own fault for wearing white after Labor Day.
0: Yeah. Nah. Is, is it after
1: Labor Day? I don't even know.
0: Who knows? No, I think it, it seems to be summertime. Um, I thought Norman nailed a bunch of scenes, and I have to admit I like Beth by the end. Uh, Terry Bernard gives a 3.75. It was interesting to learn that Daryl... Felt so much guilt about the governor invading. It also makes me nervous for Daryl that Beth said Daryl will be the last one standing of them all. Bum, bum, bum. Uh, Brent Jones, 2.5 slow-moving storylines out of five. Michael Santana, 1.5 dirty coffee cups full of peach I (laughs) could. I know. Hell, I could have told you that Daryl did nothing before the zombie apocalypse and saved you 43 minutes of your life. Uh, Worst episode ever, Voice of Simpsons, comic book guy. Wow. Uh, Harsh. I I know. Ian Timms, I'm going to give this a four. Golf, get it. Uh, Uh. A Slithering 2.5 and crossbow darts with Daryl from Christine Webb. Uh, Belinda Clark ate four out of five grandfather clocks. It was not action-packed, but it set the scene for Daryl and Beth to hook up. Which will be a wow, hey wow, wow. now, which will be a real catalyst when they find Carol. And if I can quote uh, Tucker from uh, from uh, Red versus Blue, women are like Voltron. The more you get, the more you pile on, the better it is. So good for you, Carol. <laughs> wow.
2: Um,
1: See, when you said Tucker, I was like Tuckerdale versus evil Tucker from Breaking Bad. No, Tucker, no, uh, yeah, but Tucker no. from Red versus Blue. I'm very happy with that reference.
0: Yeah. Uh, four out of five burning stills for me from Trisha Terrell-Collins. I liked learning a little more, more about these two. Maybe all this quote-unquote frivolity will be broken up by meeting Carol Tyrese and the girls, though. Um, Mike Jones says, if Beth and Darrell hook up, he's calling children's services.
1: <laughs> I think she's older than I am.
0: Uh, if you would like to uh, uh, be part of our fun uh, Facebook group where we talk about the show and our theories, and uh, like I said, a lot of news there. There are links to Aaron's written reviews there. Um, you can do so at the Walking Dead TV podcast on Facebook. I hear Facebook's very popular with the youngsters these days. Um, our good friend Aaron Newarth, who is normally here on the show, was unable to uh, attend this evening because he is on route to some... I know Fancy Schmancy probably uh, after Oscar party somewhere with a lot of uh, celebrities and stuff like that. Cause that's how he rolls on the West coast. But he sent us his buster rating in a little note, which I will pass along here. His buster rating uh, was a 2.5 out of five. Wow. Uh, mm. While I've, while I have supported the idea of episodes focused on a limited number of characters, Beth and Daryl have not proven to be the strongest pairing in an episode that I found to be nothing but filler. It is decently acted in the country club, had some creepy imagery, but the two-person play in Casa de Moonshine turned into nothing more than a big bowl of melodrama, topped off by irresponsible fire setting. 2.5 out of 5, Busters. Like I said, it just seems like opinions are all over the board on on this episode.
1: It's almost yeah. like they're subjective. You'd think? <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, no, I mean, usually there's, like, not, like, a consensus. I don't want to say a consensus, but a median, at least. You know what I mean? People yeah. will say People will immediately say, oh, that episode was terrible. Oh, that episode was good. And there are usually people, you know, in and out of that medium. Like, some people thought it was really, really good or not as good. But, but again, you know, all over the board. I mean, from 1.5 all the way up to 5 out of 5. So, I, I guess that makes it a good episode because it uh, is unclassifiable. <laughs> Anomaly. Cryptozoologic. A statistic anomaly. Uh,
1: So with that, I think that's the end of the episode. Of course, we have our preview for next week at the end after uh, all this. So if you don't want to be spoiled, you can cut out after the end here. But if you want to leave us a voicemail, you can do so at 972 798 Thirty-eight thirty. That's 972-798-3830. Or you can send us an email, comments at walkingdeadtv.com. And check out com for all of our great shows like Half Hour Wasted, The Long Box of Doom, The Black Box, Out Now, Jersey Shore, The Icopod, Crane Cash, Shaken Not Stirred, which uh, episode two, which is technically the third episode, just came out the other day. It's a lot of fun. And uh, you can check out all of those shows on Facebook as
2: well. I'm going to gonna jump in here real quick. I want to shout something out that uh, it's a project we've been working on for a while now um, at HHWLOD LOD Central. Uh, for those of you that maybe only get the Walking Dead TV podcast on its own feed, um, there are a lot of other shows, like Jordan mentioned, that we do on the network. Um, but upcoming on uh, Mr. Brad Milo's show, uh, Half Hour Wasted, episode 363, which, as you listen to this episode, will probably be posted the following Sunday, Monday. Um, so if you, if you don't subscribe to the master feed, a shame on you, um, uh, but be head on over to H H W L We put together, um, from all the shows on the network and all the hosts, a list of everybody's top 20 favorite movies of all time. And, um, I went through and collated all of the lists and, um, we did some ranking and we kind of came up with what we consider the definitive top 20 movie list of all time for our, our little network. Um, and. I drove up to Dallas to to sit with the boys last weekend. Um Jordan and Jim and Johnny M were gracious enough to sit in on the episode call in as well. Um and we discussed those 20 movies. So it was it was a lot of fun, a lot of uh, cool discussion. We kind of had um some cool intro and sound clips that were kind of definitive from each of the 20 movies. Uh and then you know kind of go, go went over a, a little a few stats for each one. So, it was a lot of fun. I th- I think it's going to be a really really great episode um and I would really appreciate it if everybody would go check it out and let us know what you think. So again, that's going to be Half Hour Wasted episode 363. Uh, and then pretty much from that point, if you keep an eye on the other shows on the network, I think everybody's going to be doing a little something to talk about their specific lists, you know, just other other cool things that they glean from the list or uh, just kind of a little time too to shake their fist at stuff that they were really passionate about that didn't make the list. Um, so it, it was a lot of fun. Uh, and it's just one of those things, you know, because it's more about movies than it is about anything else. Uh, I think that kind of fits in with this podcast audience, so I've I've rambled enough, but but again, check it out, H H W L O D Yeah, that
1: was a lot of fun to record, absolutely. You can follow us on Twitter at WDTV Podcast and at H H W L O D underscore network. I'm at Jordan F R M Jersey. Jim is at Yoda Jones, and Russ is at R Latham. L-A-T-H-A-M. And so until there's no more room in hell in the dead walk the earth, remember Peach Snops Just don't do it. (laughs) Have a good week, everybody. Have a good one. And next week on The Walking Dead, episode 413 is titled Alone. And the brief synopsis we have from AMC is one group finds what may be an ideal shelter while others realize protection is all around them. I don't know what that sentence means, which makes me intrigued for once from this little blurb. Also, the scene they showed um, a little bit in the next time on The Walking Dead and on uh, Talking Dead of uh, Sasha, Bob, and Maggie in the mist.
2: I think that's what protects them.
1: Oh, possibly. Although it looked like it wasn't protecting them very well. But that was super creepy. I cannot wait to see how that plays out. That was a neat-looking shot.
0: It looks like it's another Ernest Dickerson episode as well, so... I'm a big fan of his direction on this series.
1: Absolutely. Cool. Alrighty everybody. Have a good one. So long.
2: See if place begin
1: to I'm
0: something I meant to tell you, Russ, I can't remember what it is now.
2: Your beard's on fire. No, no.
0: (laughs) Nothing that pressing. I would remember that.